That was crispy. I like it. That was nice. Welcome to another episode of Beer and Backfire. Indeed. Today we have our sponsor, Steve Kilman. And now a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Prestidigitation. <laughs> it's a good word. That's the that's, that's a good word. It's the first one that came to mind. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's what you makes get. sense. Corey, what you drinking? Yeah, I am drinking Coastal Love Hazy IPA. This is um, by Wicked Weed. I think I had one I think of you these. had this last time. I think I had one of these last week as well. Yes. Um, pretty good. How do you find it? Uh, it's pretty good. I don't normally like uh, the stuff Wicked Weed makes, but um, this hazy is pretty good. Good. Yeah, I'm a fan. Okay. Um, Much better see, out of I, a glass. I have. I will uh, say. I'm I'm having the opposite problem actually. I'm having Devil's Backbone Juicy Magic Juicy IPA, um, and I think it's less good out of a glass. Weirdly. Rather it's better can. straight out of the can, yeah. Mm. I can't explain why. Is it adequately juicy as its name would imply? It is. Not uh, not overwhelmingly so. And it claims to be 7%, uh, but there is absolutely no alcohol flavor to it, which is, um, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I am... No complaints. Once again, drinking uh, lemongrass wheat ale by Outer Banks Brewing Station. It is... Mm my favorite thing that they make and it's delicious nice have you ever had um oh my gosh i just blanked I, on the name i, I have um, had a brain fart for <laughs> sure they've had that feeling that you just had uh it's a oh man it's mead um it's like a lemongrass mead? yes no yes it's amazing it tastes Who like thai it? food um is it a local thing? I think they're in Maryland. Ooh, I don't know. Their their logo is a B. Of course, as um, most meads are. Yes, on brand. Mead oh city. I can't. Mead. It's driving me crazy right Magic now. It, but it's, city it, mead. It, it tastes like Vietnamese food. It's great. That's Ooh. pretty cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's like, le, it's like lemongrass and basil, good. Thai basil or something like that. Mm. It's super good. I, I will find the name. Okay. Nice. So, Steve. Jordan. It's been a little while since you've been on. It has. You've had a what has lot. it been? A couple of years? Well, we kind of took a year off. Yeah. So, well, yeah. That year didn't count. No. We all get a buy yeah. on that one. Um, but you've been pretty busy. You've had a lot car-wise going on. Yeah. So um, let's... Um, some good, some bad. What do you want to know? Where, where should we start? Well, let's start with the supercharged Miata. Okay. How, what's, what's up with that? Um, it's not supercharged. Well, you see, after two crankshafts and then dreaded pulley wobble returning yet again, oh boy, rearing its ugly head, uh, I decided that the last thing that that poor engine needed was to continue being supercharged. I don't know if I just have extremely bad luck. It certainly seems to be a component of this. Yeah, uh, a lot of people seem to run superchargers on those cars for a long time and not have any issue with it. And... For whatever reason, Miatas are known for for crank nose problems, um, first-gen Miatas in particular, uh, less so with the 1.8s. So I didn't think I was going to have much issue with that. Um, but uh, the first time I had an issue, it like absolutely tore the crank nose out of the car, which I think maybe I talked about before. Um, yeah, because then I had to do like desperate rebuild of that engine right before a Blue Ridge cruise. Um 
and I put a new crankshaft in it. And when I did that, I had the machine shop double key the crank. I also added the crank saver, which is a trick little plug, machine plug. A little reinforcement. Yeah, thing. you guys are nodding your heads, but some people uh, may not know. Um, because they're so known for this, it's a lovely little reinforcement plug that sits on the front. So the issue is the crank key is held in single shear. It sticks out past the end of the crank nose into the timing cog or one of them um, and the key overhangs so it's in single shear so it just they break off because that's not a great way for things to be um, so the crank saver goes on the front of that and continues that keyway all the way through so that the key and then it uh, comes with an extended key as well uh, so that it's supported all the way out through the timing cog and, and the pulley boss and the stuff that's all attached to the crank nose, and then the pulleys are bolted to that. Um, so I did all of that, and I had the machine shop cut a second keyway in, uh, not the timing cog because it was hardened, but I guess the pulley boss, um, which the accessory belt pulleys, uh, harmonic balancer, all bolts to. Um, and it ran pretty well with that, and I thought that was like, hey, it's bulletproof. I'm never going to have an issue with this again. And then... Uh, and then I did, it just, it started to wobble again. And I only would notice it at idle and then anything off idle, it would completely smooth out like visually. Um, and I think that was just the harmonic balancer taking up what, what wobble there was. And once I finally determined that the problem was yet again, the crank nose, which took taking stuff apart all the way down to just the pulley boss on the front, like took all the other and then just uh, pulled the EFI relay and cranked the engine and just watched it go around and it was going womp, 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 womp back and forth. Uh, at which point I knew that it was the crank nose again. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it's actually so far out that it's going to fail if it's not supercharged. But with that extra pulley and the extra belt tension yanking on the crank nose sideways, uh, it's just not going to be good for that thing long term. Um, so what I determined I was going to do, which is tied into some of my other current car happenings, um, was buy an ND, which you guys have talked about, of course, because I, I brought it over. I did want to clarify real quick, um, because you didn't make it clear. You said I brought the car over and we went for a ride, Corey. I put you in the oh, driver's seat. Yeah. I wanted to be very clear. Oh, the yeah, okay. whole purpose of coming over was so that you could drive that car. Yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted I wanted the fine folks at home. No, no, I know. I appreciate the that, clarification. That we Corey call, got to drive. We call those amendments. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've said a lot of wrong things. Oh, I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm good at that too. So you invited the right guest on. So my I just wanted to ask real quick if yeah. I recall that the NA Miata engine was built with pistons and rods. It was kind of not built to sustain boost. Right? Yeah, I didn't do forged pistons at the time. So I did OE style replacement pistons, new pistons, new rings, um, forged rods, um, ACL race bearings all the way through, and then ARP hardware head studs and, so and take some boost because those, so, yeah. those motors can take some boost stock anyway. Yeah, honestly, they're usually fine under like ten to twelve psi, depending on the tuning stock. Um, I built it for overhead, so I was hoping to start at like seven psi and then just move my way on up to 
18 uh, <laughs> or you know whatever um <clears throat> the point at which the supercharger loses efficiency yeah well and that was part of why i went with the mp62 which is the bigger supercharger on that car um because it has the overhead to actually flow well um and not over rev up to you know guys were running them at like 18 psi which is like Good grief. pretty pulley down and and high rpms but that's nuts but that's like close lot. to 300 wheel yeah and yeah. really wow. flat torque yeah and yeah. i mean how fun would that be that'd be amazing a lot. um but apparently i can't hold the crankshaft together to ever get there um, so I had actually bought stuff. I'd bought another pulley to go up to maybe in the neighborhood of like 12. And I'm guessing where I was at was probably 200-ish wheel. And I probably would have gone for 220, 230, you know, somewhere in that range. The car felt pretty well balanced as it was. So I was pretty happy with it um, besides the reliability problems. So what I've done now is get ready to sell that car i mean that's really i bought the nd with the purpose of replacing both the honda beat that um erica my wife bought um and you know we had some fun with for about two years and it's just not designed for the highways it's it's a fun toy or novelty not so much as a functional vehicle it makes people smile um it makes it made me smile when i drove it uh but yeah, it's, you know, a car that is at five to 6,000 RPMs at like 60 miles an hour in top gear. It just, you don't feel good taking it for two hour drives at 65 miles an hour. Um, so, you know, we kind of ran our course. We had fun. We took it to Cars and Coffee. We took it, you know, Erica brought it on a Blue Ridge cruise, which was fun. Um, but it was it was time to kind of move on and honestly we sold it back to japanese classics for more than we bought it for because that's where the car market is right now so it was kind of a no-brainer to just kind of move that one along so um the idea is take the supercharger off the na which i've done um finish putting it back together as a naturally aspirated but running car with a lot of good parts on it and then put it up for sale while the market is still pretty good um Honestly, it would probably be a really good turbo candidate because the engine is kind of built for boost. It just needs to not have extra force on the stress on the cranks now. Yeah, Um, I think if somebody put an ATI super damper or something on there, like just made sure that the crank was kind of taken care of from being a little off balance, it would probably be fine for the next like five years more. Uh, depending on how it's driven um so that's kind of the goal there sell that car okay and then move on to the car i now have um which the purpose of which um is get on track yes which i have done in the in the nd yes yeah okay correct okay Yeah. yeah that is that is why i got that car um I was tired of not having a reliable platform to actually make it to events that I wanted to get to. Um, And so the goal with that one is leave the driveline stock and do the little bit of suspension stuff that makes it better and put good tires on it and put gas in it and hit the track. Um, So I've done track cross at Dominion with the Porsche Club, which was a lot of fun. That was my very first track-related event with the car. When when Porsche Club does it, do they put cones out on the track as well? They they 
do, um, but they were pretty minimal about it. So what they did was ran turns one through 14, um, which 14 is the end of the, the S's. Uh, There's actually th- two different turn right. numbering systems mm-hmm. for Dominion. It well, gets really confusing when you try to Google it. Okay. Well, so. they ran turn one, which I think is probably turn one in any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one after the long straight. Uh, we started basically at the pit out, and then they put a cone slalom right before turn one. So you get a pretty good run up, and then the higher horsepower cars had to break a little bit. I just lifted slightly because it's a Miata. I wouldn't go on that fast. And then, you know, head through a slight slalom and into turn one, run all the way through, and then they put one more right um, after left hook, I think it's called, which is that infield real sharp left that's kind of banked a little. And then you kind of come down through and then start into the S's, they put one more right there to really, like, neck it down so that the higher horsepower guys wouldn't be going 120, 130 by the end of the S's because it was supposed to be, a you know, a little bit lower skill event, like entry level. Um, it worked pretty well, honestly, for the Miata. I ran about mid-pack with a bunch of Porsches and other cars, which was... I felt Stuff pretty, that cost three times as much. Yeah, felt pretty good about. I think there were like, it was like thirteen Porsches there, and seven were faster than me, and six were slower. So, yeah, respectable, I guess. Um, felt good. Car was amazing. Um, I feel very in tune with it. It feels very much like an NA. Honestly, um, that's part of what I love about it. Like it, I when I bought the car, I felt familiar with it. Like it's a Miata. Uh, you get in, it, it's small it's everything's exactly where it should be the shifter's the right distance from the steering wheel from the you know the pedals feel right like it's just it's intuitive and it's a driver's car um it's not super powerful but it's eh, 155 i mean you you drove it yeah like, yeah it's, I, it's peppy i thought it was great yeah it's, I mean, it's the it, same weight as an na with like 30 or 40 more horsepower yeah um 20 i guess 25 uh, for the year that I have, which is a 16, it's the first year of the ND1. Uh, 155 versus 130 in my NA was the stock rating at the crank in the 1.8 cars. Um, so yeah, 25 horsepower. I mean, it's it's substantial, but the six-speed helps too. I think the gearing's a little bit shorter for the f- first like three gears, and then it stretches out a bit, and then not cruising at 4,000 RPMs is also really nice. Uh, having that sixth gear to dump it in and just kind of quietly cruise down the highway. Um, pretty comfy. So uh, yeah, I did that, and then uh, Hyperfest. I did a hyperdrive like Pierce did on Patriot Course, which was a lot of fun too. Um, my instructor was a Corvette guy who's about six foot five and he, and he I, the instructors pick you for hyperdrive. I mean, I guess for most NASA stuff, right? Like they kind of not, I mean, walk the grid as or far they as get I assigned. know, I think you're, you're assigned previously before you get there. You're okay. Assigned your instructor, okay. As far as I know. Well, this weekend at some point will be my first actual like sanctioned HPDE. So I haven't, I haven't done that yet, but, um, at hyperdrives, they always let the guys just kind of, it's a pool of instructors and they kind of walk out there and look around at the cars that are there and walk up and say like, Hey, can I ride with you? Um, and he came up to me and I was, you know, I'm looking up at him like, good luck. Uh, <laughs> No and, broomstick test here. And he says, well, I'm a, I'm a Corvette guy, but I've always been interested in these. You mind if I ride with you? I said, yeah, if you can fit in it. And, um, and yeah, he said, uh, 
he said, yeah, I've been riding in Corvettes and Mustangs and higher horsepower stuff all day. So I'm really interested to see, you know, what, what this thing does. And, uh, so we went out, we did our session, you know, I got pretty comfortable with the car. Um, those brakes, those Porter fields that Jordan, good. Jordan put me onto has been running in the Toyotas for years. They are very good. The R4s, um, they get a little heat in them and they bite really well. Uh, and I, at least on a small track like that, I didn't get any fade. They had plenty of time to cool by the time you get back around. To the I've never gotten fade in the R4s. Out. Yeah, they feel really, really good. Um, and at the end of it, he just like checked all fives on the little like the checklist. That feels good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. I yeah. mean, <laughs> and then his his comments were nice driving. Thanks for the ride. <laughs> it was just like fun, fun time or something. Um, so I was really that was fun to to give him a, a little bit different experience. And you know, I, I said to him about two laps before the end, "What do you think of the car?" And he was like. Oh, it's great. And I said, you going to go buy one? And he's like, nah, I can't fit in. <laughs> it's like, I know. It was a joke. It was a stupid joke. That is um, one nice thing about Corvettes is you can fit tall people in them pretty yeah, well. Yeah. And I, you know, I think a lot of people kind of view those as like, if you got a little bit more money for a track car, like those C, C5, C6, like in that range, they're starting to become pretty affordable c5 z06 is under 20 grand now that's nuts that's nice but that's nuts but yeah that was uh that was my uh that's my quick recap of of those two quick track events um and then i don't know if you just want me to keep rolling with what happened at the next one oh yeah well so yeah go go ahead and talk about what happened at the next yeah so uh one week and a day after Hyperfest, uh, IMSA was at VIR the next weekend, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, uh, Indigenous People's Day, Euro Classics Porsche, which is a dealership here in town, always rents the track and does their track day on the same day every year. Um, so it's generally like nice weather because it's October um, and just a more chill group. Uh, they do three run groups. So they do like a green, which is basically paste, like touring laps, advanced highway speeds, no helmets. They do a yellow, which is kind of HPDE one, two level, like beginner, you know, um, passing only in a couple of zones. And then they do a red group, which is like the three, four guys passing anywhere on the track, like experienced people. And they very kindly, although you're supposed to have like five, track events under your belt they very kindly put me in the yellow group um which was very thoughtful of them did you get an instructor in that group no so eric madsen went down with me shout out to eric thanks buddy um i blame him for all of this yes well you know what he deserves the blame and i hate to say it the credit um because yeah he's he's a great proponent of uh gently nudging people to get out there on that's, track that's like all he does is just convince people to get on track and it's amazing yeah it is he's, it's so good he's a really good dude so it hasn't worked on me yet but. so well i told him i was going down for the day and i you know he he deals with some motion sickness when he's instructed and he's instructed with nasa for like 10 years so god bless him i don't know how he does it just dramamine and 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 gut it out i don't blame him for stopping i don't either i don't either when you get to that point especially if you get motion sickness i'm good good on you it's time to hang it up but he i wasn't gonna ask him because i know that that kind of bothers him sometimes um 
but he volunteered as soon as he heard I was going and he was free. He was like, yeah, I'll go down. I know, you know, Scott Krastek was going to be there. Ross Schull that he runs with in, in Champ Car that has the prelude. Um, Chris Saltzman with his Kia Stinger, they were all going to the track day. So he was like, yeah, I'll come down. I'll hang out with the guys. I'll, I'll ride along. I'll give you some pointers, some instructions. So he emailed the Porsche Club guys ahead of time. And they said, yeah, just come on down. You're NASA instructor. You know what you're doing. You can go with him. Um, so he came down. He rode with me for the first session. Uh, his stomach got a little wonky. Uh, he sat out the second session. I went out by myself. Uh, then we had lunch. After that, he was feeling better. So we went out for the third session again together. And then I had to bring him in because um, he just wasn't feeling it, which was fine. I mean, it was very gracious of him to even come along. Absolutely. And um, and he gave me some really good pointers. Uh, Ross and Chris and the guys like gave me a few tips, you know, oh, what gear are you going through this turn in? What, you know, what are you doing there? Well, try leaving it in fourth, see how it feels, you know, so just some really helpful stuff for um, I've ridden around that track more laps than I can count with people, but in very, very different cars. Um, so I don't know, you know, the feel for braking zones in my car and that stuff. I know the turns, um, but I hadn't done it as a driver. Um, so yeah, they gave me some really good tips. And then I ran, there were six sessions and they're all like about 25 minutes. So it's a ton. In one day? Yeah, a ton wow. of track time. Yeah. I, I, they called them 30 minute sessions, but they were closer to 25 but still a lot it's like three hours of track time in one day um and i was going to take advantage of every last bit of it so by the last session for our group which was at five o'clock um there were only like five cars that went out i mean most people were packing it up and and going home for the day i usually skip last session Um, yeah well and uh uh, it was just my first time, so I was a little... You uh, didn't have to pack up either because you're just driving at home. I Well, yes, that was the plan. And it is what I did, spoiler, um, but I went out my last session. I had been feeling good, feeling like I was progressing all day, um, looking for a few spots on track. I wasn't tracking lap times or anything, just you know, generally focusing on lines and, and feel and breaking points and that kind of stuff. Um, I went out the last session, and uh, one of the places on track I felt like I could carry more speed was through the uphill S's. And I know that's a place that a lot of guys talk about. Like, that's one of the places you find speed on this track, is either staying flat out or, you know, managing to gain speed by the top of the S's. You're going to pick up time. Uh, And I knew I was losing speed. Not a lot, but, you know, I was going half throttle through the first two and then rolling back into the throttle because you're going heavier uphill at that point and you're not really gaining speed. And then breaking into South Bend, uh, which is that turn at the top of the hill. Um, and it, unfortunately, what happened was I worked up to not breaking into South Bend. At this at the speed I was exiting the S's, I could just throttle blip downshift into fourth, turn in, and then before the apex, get back on the throttle, plant the back end, track out and go down the hill that worked fine when i was entering at like 85 to 90 what i found out in my last session was okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stick it through the s's a little faster and i worked up to not breaking before south bend and that time i entered about 95 and i did i watched the video back i did basically everything the same i just throttle blipped into fourth i turned in at the same point Maybe I aimed a little closer at the apex, but my line was very similar. I got back on throttle well before the apex. 
the back end just went around, hopelessly went around. And you're cresting a hill there. So I had it at opposite lock by the time it crested the hill, at which point the back end was just unloaded and nothing was going to grab and it wasn't going to come around. Went off the left side of the track, four off, kind of at a 45 degree angle backwards going down the hill. Um, there was a moment, there was, you know, take, take a bite out of the seat. There, it, it, was, it really wasn't that bad. Um, but there was a moment as I crossed the track where I thought, did I just do the thing? Did I just, did I just come to my first track day and run all day? and have lots of fun, and plan on driving my car home, and then stuff it in the tire wall in the last session, and then have to figure out how to get home. You know, there was a moment. Um, as soon as I went off into the grass, my line down the hill straightened out, and I could tell I was just going parallel to the between the track and the wall, and I wasn't getting closer to either one, which was fine with me. Not going to hit the wall, not going to come back out on the track in front of somebody rounding a blind corner. At that point, I just, it was like an autocross spin. Just put both feet in, ride it out till it stops. Um, it stuffed a bunch of dirt between the tire and the the uh, lip of the wheel, like so hard that it the sidewall was kind of tucked in at, at one spot. Um, it knocked an eccentric bolt loose in the suspension alignment. Um, so like I came back out on track. It was funny actually, because, uh, my alignment before when I was going down to the track, my steering wheel had been slightly off center to the right. Since I got the alignment done, we kind of rushed it. And at the end of it, like the car drove straight, but the steering wheel was off center to the right. And when I pulled back out on track, the steering wheel was off center to the left by like exactly the same <laughs> amount. It's like, why couldn't it have just knocked it straight <laughs> if it was going to do anything? Um, but yeah, so I, I knew it slipped in eccentric. I looked under the car, you know, they, they pull you into the pits. They look it over. They're like, ah, you got some dirt stuffed in your tire there. You may want to check it out. But came back off. Eric was like, I think dozing off in a camp chair in the paddock. That like he had, right. he had no idea that I had gone off or anything. And I pulled up and he was like, what happened? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I had to tell him the whole story. I was like, oh, I got a little overzealous there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a good, you know, it was a, um, it's a good way to learn, I guess, is to have one of those really safe four offs. Um, not know that you're not going to hit anything. No, kind of know what you did wrong. Uh, go back and watch the video and, and figure it out and know, you know, what you need to do the next time. Hey, if I exit the S's at 95, I need to bleed off a little speed before I turn into South Bend. That's just what it is. So I, I worked up to where I could carry the speed I had through that turn and it, it would stick. Um, but then I was entering with more speed and it was just too much and it overpowered the tires. Um, but yeah, good, good learning experience and um, definitely found myself having to ease back into driving harder at the Blue Ridge Cruise, which was the following weekend. So like all these events were kind of right in a row, Hyperfest one weekend, then the track day, you know, a week and a Monday after, and then the Blue Ridge Cruise with you guys. Um, and I'm almost always volunteered to lead the, the quote unquote fast group, the spirited group at the front, which is fine because I know the route. Um, but I was definitely feeling that like, the apprehension just went off the track like now i know what it feels like when the car lets go and it did not warn me very much like when it lets go it lets go and i do not want that anything near that happening on the street not that i ever drive you know crazy on the street but um 
just just having that in the back of my head definitely affected me. But um, that, I think that kind of helped ease me back into like, hey, I am comfortable with the car. You know, I got it aligned in between in the week. It, it was knocked pretty far out. It was at like 0.6 degrees of camber on that side, um, which it's supposed to be like negative 1.8. Um, so, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut, cut your no, story off. No, you're good. I think that was, that. that's kind of... Um, you know, Blue Ridge Cruise was a good way to ease back in. And then um, this coming weekend, I am doing the two-day fall finale HPDE at Summit Point on Summit Point, Maine, which should be really fun. I did look at the weather, and it's like 44% chance of rain on Saturday. So I'll get some wet laps. Um, I'll learn how the car handles under those conditions. And then Sunday is supposed to be pretty low chance of rain. So I'll learn the track. I'll learn the turns. Um, it'll be fun no matter what. Um, I was going to ask you, Jordan, do they let you run at Summit with windows up? Because I'm going to be real bummed if they're trying to make me run with windows down in the rain. That's like still a, a street car with an interior. <laughs> it didn't rain that weekend I was there. I just didn't so. know if they if it was like a flat rule. Because I feel like VIR, it's a flat rule. you got to run with windows open. I'm not sure. No matter what. I'll, I'll see what they say. I was just curious if you knew. Summit's a fun track. The The only turn that I really like felt like I was struggling with was turn... Everyone I think says it's five. five. Yeah, five is hard because you have to. You're coming flying over that hill, and it's downhill braking zone. So it's, I just constantly was locking my rear tires, mm. and it was just it was misery trying to. Get I will that say that's something I've I've learned to appreciate is ABS. Yeah, I it almost acts like um, a threshold braking indicator for me, uh, like. I can kind of push into the brakes, and if I reach that point where they start to pulse, I back off the pressure just a little bit. Like, it's this extra little bit of haptic feedback that, like, you're getting a little too heavy in the brakes here. Um, so I feel like it's actually helped a lot. I, yeah. I noticed it way more at Dominion. Um, I don't feel like I almost ever got ABS engagement at VIR, and I don't know if I was just breaking early and, and playing it safe. I know I was doing some of that early in the day, um, but in general, I don't. I don't remember. It's either that or I'm just carrying so much more speed that I don't, my it's, brain doesn't pick up on the fact that it's pulsing them. I think it's the same because way. VIR is so much higher speed. It's harder to lock, like physically more difficult to lock the brakes at those speeds than it is at lower speeds. That's, that's fair. Yeah. And, and that car stays pretty balanced and the rear brakes are a lot smaller than the fronts. So I don't think it really like pitches forward and, and unloads the rear in such a way that it would try to lock the rears up or anything. Um, it, it seems really stable on braking, but yeah, I, I used to be, um, the question I wanted to ask you was, yes. um, because I haven't talked enough yet when, well, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, going from having ridden as a passenger and I'm assuming probably playing Forza a bunch and stuff too on. Nope. No, I am. I am not a, a racing sim or video game guy. Okay. I'm, I, yeah, I'm one of the few, I guess. Like, most people really get into that. I just never have. Fair enough. Um, well, for, after having been a passenger at VIR so many times, was there anything that stuck out to you that, like, driving it that was not what you expected or was different or, or you know, just general impressions actually getting to drive on track rather than being a passenger? Yeah, Um it takes a lot more brain power to check uh, flag stations. 
Like, I feel like I was, I, it was something that I told myself to do when I was riding with people because I was like, this is uh, one day I'm going to be here doing this. So try to build good habits while I'm riding along, learning the track with other people, you know, check the flag stations every time I go around, even if I'm a passenger, then look for the breaking point, then look at the turn, you know, um, but it, it, it takes a more focused effort to do all of that stuff at once. And again, you know, first first times out, things happening at that speed, you kind of, not tunnel vision, but your, your brain power focuses on the things that are crucial, which is like keep the car on the track. That's definitely something and, that I continuously have to remind myself. I'm just yeah. like, oh, oh, eyes up all the time. I have yep. to constantly remind myself. Otherwise, I find myself just concentrating at whatever the next turn or yeah. curb is. And then I think... Um, I felt like I knew the lines pretty well and making the car do them in certain places was tough. Um, that was the thing that, that was much different. I was like, oh yeah, I know, like swing out here and whatever. And then I would turn in and be like, no, I'm still turning in too far, like track out. And I'd have to tell myself like four or five laps in a row, like no, track out further there. Then turn, you know, um, turn five into the little S's. Um, the- that's... One, two, three. Three is NASCAR. Yep. Four is the hard left. Yeah, left. And then the right after that. Whatever. And then the right after that, you enter and then track kind of way, way out. It's a it's a twin apex, and that sets you up for those little S's before the bridge. And I just naturally like turned in, hit the apex, and then kind of like dove back in. And Eric kept saying like stay out, stay out, and then just lift a little bit and turn in again a little sharper to that first S. Um, And that's going to set you right for the way, and then just hard back on the throttle all the way through the bridge into the S's. Um, And it took me like lap after lap to finally do it. But it is incredibly rewarding when you finally have that lap where you're like, nailed it. And then, like, do it the next lap and, like, yes, two in a row, you know. It's that feeling of, like, really building on that skill and that, you know, Eric said to me multiple times going into it, muscle memory is what we're trying to build. It's also what's going to work against you. You're going to go out there and do something for, like, three laps, and I'm going to tell you every time you're doing it wrong, and you're going to know that, and then you're going to do it the next lap anyway. And he's absolutely right. <laughs> because it's you you quickly build the, even the wrong muscle memory yeah. for your line through a turn or your breaking point or your turn-in point, and it takes a very focused effort to, like, change that. and And then... You do seem to quickly, once you get it right, you can pretty quickly build that muscle memory for doing the right thing. Um, The one other thing that I would say I took away from it was um, it's a lot of turns. Yeah. It's a 17 turns is a lot of turns to get right. Like you ride along with some people and you're like, okay, I kind of know, I I know the lines and whatever. And like putting together one good lap where you feel. Even my best lap that day, I went back and watched and was like, yeah, my turn into roller coaster was not right. And I had to slow it down more. And, I, you know, so, yeah, it was really, uh, it was really interesting. Um, oh, that's my one other amendment. I, if it makes you feel any better, Jordan, I, I looked at the video again. I think it may have been a 228. 
So it wasn't it, it wasn't quite a twist the knife stab at two twenty nine. It's somewhere between a two twenty eight and a two twenty nine. Well, I did just what a dick. I, I also I know I also have I'm, fifty I'm horsepower yeah, on you or something. And I think I think you probably weigh about the same, pretty close. And a suspension design thirty years newer. Oh, oh my god! Oh, you so noticed my better. girlish figure. I mean, thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, notes, uh, suspension, and. Um, Double wishbones for the win. Yeah, you know, uh, the interesting thing about that car is that the rear is not double wishbone on those. Is it multi-link? It is. It's a nice. fascinating, like, five-link, multi-link thing, which I did not know. I thought they just, like, stayed true to their roots and went double wishbone all around on the ND, just like they'd done all the way back. Um, no, it's it's double wishbone in the front, just like you expect, and then it's, like, a weird five-link in the rear, and I'm guessing it just equates to, like, better camber gain through suspension travel or whatever engineering yeah. that's things just that science. i don't understand yeah yeah things i don't know either it's a good car though it's a yeah. cory is it a good car it's, it's a really great car i was flabbergasted actually at how good the brakes are and how good the steering is in that car electric was, steering has no business being that good i, I, I know agree. i know i was i was I like agree. i know i mentioned it when we when we talked about it after I drove it, but God bless, it's so good. It yeah. was it was it was so shocking. It's very direct, and they got the the weight correct. Like they got the amount of assistance that the electric power steering gives you at yeah. different speeds correct. It does not feel weirdly overpowering in parking lots. Like yeah, you can one finger it, but you still feel like you're driving a car and not like a, a video game. Um, but at speed, it really scales back how much it assists. And I find um, it gives you really good feedback, like really good feel. It loads up nicely in turns and, and gives you a good sense of what the front end is doing. Um, yeah, that is one of the things I, I think I'm most impressed about about that car. Um, because my daily driver, which is a 2017 Mazda 6, um, is the first car I'd owned that had electric power steering. And it took some getting used to in that. It's good in that. I think Mazda just across the board does well with their steering feedback. But it it, it felt different. But the, the Miata is just, it's good. Breaking news. Miatas are good cars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know no one's ever heard that before. Shocked Pikachu. Dot <laughs> gif. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to that episode with Steve. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, to continue our conversation as Steve discusses uh, more current and future car plans. Um, we're pretty excited to share that with you. Uh, Beer and Backfire can be found on any of your favorite listening platforms, and you can follow us on Instagram at Beer and Backfire Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at c.crehan, as always, for pictures of good food and ripped pants, and soon a puppy. Jordan as the Daily Downshift, and most importantly, Steve as I am understeer. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope everyone has a happy and safe Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.